Book One, Chapter Six, Part Six of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Soon the entire number of Annixter's guests found themselves in two companies, the dancers on the floor of the barn, frolicking through the last figures of the Virginia Reel, and the boisterous gathering of men in the harness room, downing the last quarts of fertilizer. Both assemblies had been increased. Even the older people had joined in the dance, while nearly every one of the men who did not dance had found their way into the harness room. The two groups rivaled each other in their noise. Out on the floor of the barn was a very whirlwind of gaiety, a tempest of laughter, hand-clapping, and cries of amusement. In the harness room the confused shouting and singing, the stamping of heavy feet, set a quivering reverberation in the oil of the kerosene lamps, the flame of the candles and the Japanese lanterns flaring and swaying in the gusts of hilarity. At intervals between the two one heard the music, the wailing of the violins, the vigorous snarling of the cornet, and the harsh, incessant rasping of the snare drum. And at times all these various sounds mingled in a single vague note, huge, clamorous, that rose up into the night from the colossal reverberating compass of the barn and sent its echoes far off across the unbroken levels of the surrounding ranches, stretching out to infinity under the clouded sky, calm, mysterious, still. Annixter, the punch-bowl clasped in his arms, was pouring out the last spoonful of liquor into Carraher's glass when he was aware that someone was pulling at the sleeve of his coat. He set down the punch-bowl. "'Well, where did you come from?' he demanded. It was a messenger from Bonneville, the uniformed boy that the telephone company employed to carry messages. He had just arrived from town on his bicycle, out of breath and panting. "'Message for you, sir. Will you sign?' He held the book to Annixter, who signed the receipt, wondering. The boy departed, leaving a thick envelope of yellow paper in Annixter's hand, the address typewritten, the word URGENT, written in blue pencil in one corner. Annixter tore it open. The envelope contained other sealed envelopes, some eight or ten of them, addressed to Magnus Derrick, Osterman, Broderson, Garnett, Keast, Gethings, Chattern, Dabney, and to Annixter himself. Still puzzled, Annixter distributed the envelopes, muttering to himself, What's up now? The incident had attracted attention. A comparative quiet followed, the guests following the letters with their eyes as they were passed around the table. They fancied that Annixter had arranged a surprise. Magnus Derrick, who sat next to Annixter, was the first to receive his letter. With a word of excuse, he opened it. "'Read it, read it, Governor!' shouted a half-dozen voices. "'No secrets, you know. Everything above board here tonight.' Magnus cast a glance at the contents of the letter, then rose to his feet and read. "'Magnus Derrick, Bonneville, to Larry County, California. Dear Sir, By regrade of October 1st, the value of the railroad land you occupy included in your ranch of Los Muertos, has been fixed at $27 per acre. The land is now for sale at that price to anyone. Yours, etc., Cyrus Blakely Ruggles, land agent, P&SWRR, S. Behrman, local agent, P&SWRR. 
In the midst of the profound silence that followed, Osterman was heard to exclaim grimly, "'That's a pretty good one. Tell us another.' But for a long moment this was the only remark. The silence widened, broken only by the sound of torn paper, as Annixter, Osterman, Old Broderson, Garnett, Keast, Gethings, Chattern, and Dabney opened and read their letters. They were all to the same effect, almost word for word like the governor's. Only the figures and the proper names varied. In some cases the price per acre was twenty-two dollars. In Annixter's case it was thirty. And, and the company promised to sell to me, to, to, to all of us, gasped old Broderson, at two dollars and a half an acre. It was not alone the ranchers immediately around Bonneville who would be plundered by this move on the part of the railroad. The alternate section system applied throughout all the San Joaquin. By striking at the Bonneville ranchers, a terrible precedent was established. Of the crowd of guests in the harness room alone, nearly every man was affected. Every man menaced with ruin. All of a million acres was suddenly involved. Then suddenly the tempest burst. A dozen men were on their feet in an instant, their teeth set, their fists clenched, their faces purple with rage. Oaths, curses, maledictions exploded like the firing of successive mines. Voices quivered with wrath, hands flung upward, the fingers hooked, prehensile, trembled with anger. The sense of wrongs, the injustices, the oppression, extortion, and pillage of twenty years suddenly culminated and found voice in a raucous howl of execration. For a second there was nothing articulate in that cry of savage exasperation, nothing even intelligent. It was the human animal hounded to its corner, exploited, harried to its last stand, at bay, ferocious, terrible, turning at last with bared teeth and upraised claws to meet the death grapple. It was the hideous squealing of the tormented brute, its back to the wall, defending its lair, its mate and its whelps, ready to bite, to rend, to trample, to batter out the life of the enemy, in a primeval, bestial welter of blood and fury. The roar subsided to intermittent clamor, in the pauses of which the sounds of music and dancing made themselves audible once more. Yes, Behrman again, vociferated Harrod Derrick. Chose his moment well, muttered Annixter. Hits his hardest when we're all rounded up having a good time. Gentlemen, this is ruin. What's to be done now? Fight? My God, do you think we're going to stand this? Do you think we can? The uproar swelled again. The clearer the assembly of ranchers understood the significance of this move on the part of the railroad, the more terrible it appeared, the more flagrant, the more intolerable. Was it possible, was it within the bounds of imagination, that this tyranny should be contemplated? But they knew. Past years had driven home the lesson. The implacable iron monster with whom they had to deal, and again and again the sense of outrage and oppression lashed them to their feet, their mouths wide with curses, their fists clenched tight, their throats hoarse with shouting. Fight! I'll fight! What are we going to do? If there's a law in this land... If there is, it's in Shelgrim's pocket. Who owns the courts in California? Ain't it Shelgrim? God damn him! Well, how long are you going to stand it? How long before you settle up accounts with six inches of plugged gas pipe? And, and our contracts, the solemn pledges of the corporation to sell to us, first of all, 
and now the land is for sale to anybody why it is a question of my home am i to be turned out why i have put eight thousand dollars into improving this land and i six thousand and now i have the railroad grabs it and that system of irrigating ditches that eric and i have been laying out a thousand dollars in that i'll fight this out till i've spent every cent of my money where in the courts that the company owns think i'm going to give in to this think i am to get off my land by god gentlemen law or no law railroad or no railroad i will not nor i nor i nor i this is the last legal means first if those fail the shotgun they can kill me they can shoot me down but i'll die die fighting for my home before i'll give in to this at length annixter made himself heard all out of the room but the ranch owners he shouted hooven carrer dyke you'll have to clear out this is a family affair presley you and your friend can remain reluctantly the others filed through the door there remained in the harness room besides vanamee and presley magnus derrick annixter old broderson harran garrett from the ruby rancho keast from the ranch of the same name gethings of the san pablo chattern of the bonanza about a score of others ranchers from various parts of the county and last of all dabney ignored silent to whom nobody spoke and who as yet had not uttered a single word but the men who had been asked to leave the harness room spread the news throughout the barn it was repeated from lip to lip one by one the guests dropped out of the dance groups were formed by swift degrees the gaiety lapsed away the virginia reel broke up the musicians ceased playing and in the place of the noisy effervescent revelry of the previous half-hour a subdued murmur filled all the barn a mingling of whispers lowered voices the coming and going of light footsteps the uneasy shifting of positions while from behind the closed door of the harness-room came a prolonged sullen hum of anger and strenuous debate the dance came to an abrupt end the guests unwilling to go as yet stunned distressed stood clumsily about their eyes vague their hands swinging at their sides looking stupidly into each other's faces a sense of impending calamity oppressive foreboding gloomy passed through the air overhead in the night a long shiver of anguish and of terror mysterious despairing in the harness room however the excitement continued unchecked one rancher after another delivered himself of a torrent of furious words there was no order merely the frenzied outcry of blind fury one spirit alone was common to all resistance at whatever cost and to whatever lengths suddenly osterman leaped to his feet his bald head gleaming in the lamplight his red ears distended a flood of words filling his great horizontal slit of a mouth his comic actor's face flaming like the hero of a melodrama he took stage with a great sweeping gesture organization he shouted that must be our watchword the curse of the ranchers is that they fritter away their strength now we must stand together now now here's the crisis here's the moment shall we meet it i call for the league not next week not tomorrow not in the morning but now 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 this very moment before we go out of that door every one of us here to join it to form the beginnings of a vast organization banded together to death if needs be for the protection of our rights and homes are you ready is it now or never i call for the league instantly there was a shout 
With an actor's instinct, Osterman had spoken at the precise psychological moment. He carried the others off their feet, glim, dexterous, voluble. Just what was meant by the League, the others did not know. But it was something, a vague engine, a machine with which to fight. Osterman had not done speaking before the room rang with outcries, the crowd of men shouting for what they did not know. The League! The League! Now! Tonight, this moment, sign our name before we leave. His right organization, the League. We have a committee at work already, Osterman vociferated. I am a member, and also Mr. Broderson, Mr. Annixter, and Mr. Harron Derrick. What our aims are, we will explain to you later. Let this committee be the nucleus of the League, temporarily at least. Trust us. We are working for you and with you. Let this committee be merged into the larger committee of the League, and for president of the League, he paused the fraction of a second, for president there can be but one name mentioned, one man to whom we all must look as leader, Magnus Derrick. The governor's name was received with a storm of cheers. The harness room re-echoed with shouts of Derrick, Derrick, Magnus for president, Derrick, our natural leader, Derrick, Derrick, Derrick for president. Magnus rose to his feet. He made no gesture. Erect as a cavalry officer, tall, thin, commanding, he dominated the crowd in an instant. There was a moment's hush. Gentlemen, he said, if organization is a good word, moderation is a better one. The matter is too grave for haste. I would suggest that we each and severally return to our respective homes for the night, sleep over what has happened, and convene again tomorrow when we are calmer and can approach this affair in a more judicious mood. As for the honor with which you would inform me, I must affirm that, too, is a matter for grave deliberation. This league is but a name yet, to accept control of an organization whose principles are not yet fixed. is a heavy responsibility. I shrink from it. But he was allowed to proceed no farther, a storm of protest developed. There were shouts of, No, no, the League tonight and Derrick for president. We have been moderate long enough. The League first, principles afterwards. We can't wait, declared Osterman. Many of us cannot attend a meeting tomorrow. Our business affairs would prevent it. Now we are all together. I propose a temporary chairman and secretary be named and a ballot be taken. But first, the League. Let us draw up a set of resolutions to stand together for the defense of our homes, to death if needs be, and each man present affix his signature there, too. He subsided amidst vigorous applause. The next quarter of an hour was a vague confusion, everyone talking at once, conversations going on in low tones in various corners of the room. Ink, pens, and a sheaf of foolscap were brought from the ranch house. A set of resolutions was drafted having the force of a pledge, organizing the League of Defense. Annixter was the first to sign. Others followed, only a few holding back, refusing to join till they had thought the matter over. The roll grew, the paper circulated about the table, each signature was welcomed by a salvo of cheers. At length it reached Harran Derrick, who signed amid tremendous uproar. He released the pen only to shake a score of hands. Now, Magnus Derrick. Gentlemen, began the governor, once more rising, I beg of you to allow me further consideration. Gentlemen, 
he was interrupted by renewed shouting no no now or never sign join the league don't leave us we look to you for help but presently the excited throng that turned their faces toward the governor were aware of a new face at his elbow the door of the harness room had been left unbolted and mrs derrick unable to endure the heart-breaking suspense of waiting outside had gathered up all her courage and had come into the room trembling she clung to magnus's arm her pretty light brown hair in disarray her large young girl's eyes wide with terror and distrust what was about to happen she did not understand but these men were clamoring for magnus to pledge himself to something to some terrible course of action some ruthless unscrupulous battle to the death with the iron-hearted monster of steel and steam nerved with a coward's intrepidity she who so easily obliterated herself had found her way into the midst of this frantic crowd into this hot close room reeking of alcohol and tobacco smoke into this atmosphere surcharged with hatred and curses she seized her husband's arm imploring distraught with terror no no she murmured no don't sign she was the feather caught in the whirlwind en masse the crowd surged toward the erect figure of the governor the pen in one hand his wife's fingers in the other the roll of signatures before him the clamor was deafening the excitement culminated brusquely half a hundred hands stretched toward him thirty voices at top pitch implored expostulated urged almost commanded the reverberation of the shouting was as the plunge of a cataract it was the uprising of the people the thunder of the outbreak of revolt the mob demanding to be led aroused at last imperious resistless overwhelming it was the blind fury of insurrection the brute many-tongued red-eyed bellowing for guidance baring its teeth unsheathing its claws imposing its will with the abrupt resistless pressure of the relaxed piston inexorable knowing no pity no no implored annie derrick no magnus don't sign he must declared harran shouting in her ear to make himself heard he must don't you understand again the crowd surged forward roaring mrs derrick was swept back pushed to one side her husband no longer belonged to her she paid the penalty of being the wife of a great man the world like a colossal iron wedge crushed itself between she was thrust to the wall the throng of men stamping surrounded magnus she could no longer see him but terror struck she listened there was a moment's lull then a vast surge of savage jubilation magnus had signed harran found his mother leaning against the wall her hands shut over her ears her eyes dilated with fear brimming with tears he led her from the harness room to the outer room where Mrs. Tree and Hilma took charge of her, and then, impatient, refusing to answer the hundreds of anxious questions that assailed him, hurried back to the harness-room. Already the balloting was in progress. Osterman, acting as temporary chairman, on the very first ballot he was made secretary of the League pro tem, and Magnus unanimously chosen for its president. An executive committee was formed, which was to meet the next day at the Los Muertos ranch house. It was half-past one o'clock. In the barn outside the greater number of guests had departed. Long since the musicians had disappeared. There only remained the families of the ranch owners involved in the meeting in the harness-room. These huddled in isolated groups in corners of the garish, echoing barn. 
the women in their wraps, the young men with their coat collars turned up against the drafts that once more made themselves felt. For a long half-hour the loud hum of eager conversation continued to issue from behind the door of the harness-room. Then, at length, there was a prolonged scraping of chairs. The session was over. The men came out in groups, searching for their families. At once the homeward movement began. Everyone was worn out. Some of the rancher's daughters had gone to sleep against their mother's shoulders. Billy, the stableman, and his assistant were awakened, and the teams were hitched up. The stable-yard was full of a maze of swinging lanterns and buggy lamps. The horses fretted, champing the bits. The carry-alls creaked with the straining of leather and springs as they received their loads. At every instant one heard the rattle of wheels as vehicle after vehicle disappeared in the night. A fine, drizzling rain was falling, and the lamps began to show dim in a vague haze of orange light. Magnus Derrick was the last to go. At the doorway of the barn he found Annixter, the roll of names, which it had been decided he was to keep in his safe for the moment, under his arm. Silently the two shook hands. Magnus departed. The grind of the wheels of his carry-all grated sharply on the gravel of the driveway in front of the ranch house, then with a hollow roll across a little plank bridge gained the roadway. For a moment the beat of the horse's hoofs made itself heard on the roadway. It ceased. Suddenly there was a great silence. Annixter, in the doorway of the great barn, stood looking about him for a moment, alone, thoughtful. The barn was empty. That astonishing evening had come to an end. A whirl of things and people, the crowd of dancers, Delaney, the gunfight, Hilma Tree, her eyes fixed on him in mute confession, the rabble in the harness-room, the news of the regrade, the fierce outburst of wrath, the hasty organizing of the League, all went spinning confusedly through his recollection. But he was exhausted, time enough in the morning to think it all over. By now it was raining sharply. He put the roll of names into his inside pocket, threw a sack over his head and shoulders, and went down to the ranch-house. But in the harness-room, lighted by the glittering lanterns and flaring lamps in the midst of overturned chairs, spilled liquor, cigar stumps, and broken glasses, Vanamee and Presley still remained talking, talking. At length they rose and came out upon the floor of the barn and stood for a moment looking about them. Billy, the stableman, was going the rounds of the walls, putting out light after light. By degrees the vast interior was growing dim. Upon the roof overhead the rain drummed incessantly, the eaves dripping. The floor was littered with pine needles, bits of orange peel, ends and fragments of torn organdies and muslins, and bits of tissue paper from the Phrygian bonnets and liberty caps. The buckskin mare in the stall, dozing on three legs, changed position with a long sigh. The sweat stiffening the hair upon her back and loins, as it dried, gave off a penetrating ammoniacal odor that mingled with the stale perfume of sachet and wilted flowers. Presley and Vanamee stood looking at the deserted barn. There was a long silence. Then Presley said, Well, what do you think of it all? I think answered Vanamee slowly. 
I think there was a dance in Brussels the night before Waterloo. End of Book One